Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got Colin Brister back on to discuss the Hunter Elliott news what it could potentially mean for Ole Miss, played out some different hypotheticals, then took a, uh early look at Maryland as the Rebels uh, enter a sneaky tough portion of their non-conference schedule. So a lot of baseball discussion today. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix a- Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Simply put, if you're not using Skybox and you're in the wagering game, you're missing out on cash. They're crushing it in college basketball. They made money in football this season. Might as well jump on as March Madness gets heated up. Uh, you've got the Skybox NASCAR package, Skybox Mark over there at the NASCAR department. Uh, they're starting up this week. I believe you had the first race of the season. Uh, you had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. win the Daytona 500, so be sure to check that out. All you have to do is go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Find a picks package. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can do all sports. You can pick one sport. Whatever it is within your price range, they're going to have something for you. Type in the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. You get a free newsletter from me. That's rippywrights.substack.com. And discounted meats. Right now, it is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets. For twenty bucks, that's about a forty dollars valuation you're getting for twenty bucks. There, hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Weather's starting to slowly warm up a little bit. Go buy LBs, throw something delicious on the grill. All kinds of delicious stuff over there. Fresh seafood, all kinds of delicious cuts of sausage. I like the tri tips. Fillet burgers are always a good way to go. Check them out. LBs University Avenue there in. Oxford. All right, here's Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, our good friend Colin Brister, for a, a midweek preview for a very important series with Ole Miss. But the main reason we're kind of here is there's some important Ole Miss Rebels news. You know, sometimes during the non-conference, we'll just kind of do the Sunday recap as we try to get a gauge for this team before it really kind of heats up during conference play. But a newsworthy week for the Rebels, and it didn't have a ton to do with beating the Red Wolves. That, this is not why we're doing this podcast. That was not an upset. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was having a good week till people started mentioning uh, Hunter Elliott and forearms and UCLs and tightness and all that stuff. So I had a pretty solid week. And then, uh, I, uh, I got on Rebel Grove and, uh, yesterday about one o'clock, my week wasn't, wasn't going so well anymore. Yeah. So I guess we'll just get right into it. Um, as most people probably tuning into this podcast already know, on uh, Monday afternoon, another reason why you should subscribe to rebelgrove.com without giving out too much, you know, paywalled information. It's out there in the public now. Chase had a note on the board about Hunter Elliott feeling something in his arm um, when he threw or uh, after his Friday start. He pitched on Friday with no issues, um, felt something in his arm. Uh, Mike Bianco addressed the situation after Ole Miss's win on Tuesday night over Arkansas State and said, I need to pull up the quote to make sure I do not butcher it. Um, but basically said Hunter had some forearm tightness. Let's see. All right, I got it right here. All right, so after Friday's start, Hunter felt some tightness in his forearm, which is concerning. It's not normal for him. Felt it again on Sunday. Threw, though, and felt okay. No soreness throwing. Then threw again on Monday, but for precautionary reasons, had an MRI on Monday afternoon, and we don't really have the results yet. Sent the MRI 
off to several orthopedics and are getting information over the next couple of days to find out what the plan of attack is. Having an MRI, we think it's in the best interest he doesn't throw this weekend until we don't know. Until then, we don't know what his status is. Classic Mike, please don't ask anything beyond that because I've told you as much info as I could. But anyway, that's kind of the quote. That's what happened. So he throws on Friday with no issues. He has the forearm tightness. But then throw Sunday and Monday again. It sounds like without much trouble, they get the uh, MRI for precautionary reasons. We'll get into all kind of the quote and where to go from there. But I want to start out kind of the same way I started the newsletter out on Tuesday evening is, you know, whether you're unfamiliar or familiar with baseball injuries, and I'm talking to you, the listener out there. I know Colin is definitely familiar with it. I mean, forearm tightness is kind of something that makes your, uh, I would say, heart sink as a baseball person because it's a very telltale sign as to what's to come. I don't really know what to equate it to um, when it, like, in terms of like other avenues in life or other industries in terms of like the a pretty telltale sign of something, but I'll just kick it to you. Like, as a baseball coach, when you hear a forearm tightness, what do you think of? Um, I think about should I cry or not? Um, no, like it's so when when our kids pitch and then my kids, most of them, uh, pretty much all of them don't throw 90 miles an hour. But when our kids pitch, like we'll ask them the next day, hey, where are you sore? As long as it's, you know, in the bicep and, and that area, you're like, OK, we're good. When you start talking about that forearm and and, and in other cases up in the shoulder, man, it, it starts worrying you. Um, until it subsides and it's good and it no longer hurts like that when they throw. Um, and, and most of the times when we hear forearm tightness and shoulder, uh, capsule issues, I mean, we're, we're going to see a trainer at that point. So, um, certainly concerning. Um, and you know, I, there's a lot of different realms that, um, this can go. Look, obviously the Mike was inconclusive, uh, said it was inconclusive regarding the MRI. And, uh, there's no reason to not believe him from that, from that aspect. Um, but man, when you hear the words forearm tightness from a pitcher, it's, uh, it's a scary thought because like, and it's not necessarily, I want to be clear. It's not necessarily, Oh, forearm tightness, torn UCL. That's not, that's not how it operates, but it's like a sign, you know, that, that, that it could be. So until you have the actual answer as to what it is, and it's not a torn UCL, um, worst case scenario is on the table and worst case scenario is certainly scary for everybody involved yeah i'm with you and this is probably a bad example but probably reason number 1000 why i'm not necessarily a doctor but it's kind of one of those things where like i don't know you get like a lump somewhere on your body yeah Yeah, yeah. it's not always the worst case scenario being cancer but a lot of times that's the first thing you think of and there's a common correlation because of how often it happens if that makes sense and you want it ruled out you want that ruled out you know, it's like, it's like, I have a lump. Can you tell me it's not cancer? Yes. Okay. Then I can deal with whatever else it is. It's kind of the same way, uh, obviously in a much smaller realm, um, with the UCL. If you tell me it's not a torn UCL, then most likely it's going to be okay. Um, so hopefully, obviously for Hunter's sake, for Ole Miss's sake and for my sanity, it's, it's just, you know, maybe a bone spur or something along those lines. And I want to get at a couple of different elements of Bianco's quote because I thought there were a couple of different aspects of it. One, I'll address this one right out the way, is if he had the MRI on Monday, so we don't have the results yet, I think he's being probably kind of intentionally vague yet because like MRIs are not like a P-test where you send it off to a lab to get the results, right? I mean, you pretty much know almost instantaneously of like, you know, what happened or like what the picture shows at least. You might not know the best course of action or what to do, but I think the odds are of Hunter having an MRI on a Monday, if that is indeed when he had it, the fact that they don't know anything and don't have the results, he's probably playing coy there. Would you agree with that? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. And I, look, and I, 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 that's not like a knock on Bianca or anything. I don't expect him to be like, yeah, sure, local media gathered. Here's actually the uh, results of the MRI here. I printed out copies for you. Like, I get <laughs> it. Like, it's 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 not one of those things. But I do think they probably know the results because in the same in, in the same quote, he mentioned that they sent it off to you know different orthopedics for multiple opinions, which is not uncommon. Ole Miss does that a lot. Like they have one. You know, if the uh, I know they do use the uh, James Andrew group a decent bit for like arm and elbow stuff. Sometimes with some of the foot stuff with gray, they use that famous dude out of North Carolina who I think worked on like Kevin Durant, a couple other basketball players. They have their people, but if like the player has a person he feels comfortable with, they let him get an opinion from that too. Ole Miss is very accommodating in that regard as they should be. Um, So I don't think it's completely like, I don't think the fact that they're sending it off for multiple opinions is necessarily a telltale sign one way or another, I think the million-dollar question that no one has the answer to other than probably people inside the Ole Miss baseball program is what that MRI actually showed, right? That's ultimately what is going to determine this because if there is, let's just play it out on both sides. We'll start with if there is UCL damage. I get that there's case scenarios where you have like a partial tear that surgery is not necessarily required, but from my experience, having covered a few of these through the years, don't all roads eventually lead to that? Like, it's almost like if you have a partial tear and you want to try to f- pitch through it, that's like putting on a, a Band-Aid on something that probably needs stitches. Like, you're ultimately going to have to go yeah. get the heavy-duty job done. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Again, uh, we're not doctors here, but I feel like, you know, partial tear, um, unless you get it corrected, is going to lead to a full tear. Again, uh, feel free, doctors who are eight times 8,000 times smarter than me to tell me I'm an idiot and I'm wrong, and I will say you're right. Uh, but that when I hear partial tear, I just think that leads to a full tear if you don't stop what you're doing and get it fixed. So, uh, yeah, you know, so again, obviously I have no insight and uh, no reason to believe that it's a partial tear, but, uh, you know, that, that if, if you get it back and you say, Hey, partial tear of the UCL, that that's certainly still reason for concern. Um, no, the the words Ole Miss wants to hear, um, I'm sure when they have, you know, the full opinion is that there's no UCL damage. Um, if that's the case, I feel like anything else can be corrected with, or, you know, not corrected, but uh, fixed with time and, and, and rest. Um, so, obviously, I'm sure that's what Ole Miss is looking for is, is no UCL damage at all. And, you know, it's funny. Man, if you MRI like 100 pitchers, you're going to find stuff wrong with them. That's why pitchers don't like going and getting their arms looked at because right. there's stuff wrong with it because pitching is not a natural motion um, in baseball. So, you know, there's always going to be things, especially in higher end guys, because the body sometimes or the body, I don't know, if is it's naturally made to be able to throw baseballs 95 miles an hour. Um, so there's always going to be stuff wrong and you're always going to be able to find stuff, especially with higher level guys. But the one thing you want to ha- certainly have intact is that is that UCL and you don't want to have any damage done to it. Yeah, that's very well said. And that's what's kind of interesting about this situation is like, what did you make of like the aspect that they got an MRI for precautionary reasons? Like if he didn't necessarily feel a ton of discomfort throwing, mm. uh, as he said, Sunday or Monday, like, do you think there's probably more to that? Like, what do you make of that um, aspect of it? Cause you no, mentioned like no. them not wanting to go get MRIs naturally because you're probably going to no. find something in a lot of pitchers. I would bet money it when five hears the words forearm tightness, his next words are MRI. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So, no, I, I don't – I think if he just said, hey, my bicep's extra sore or, you know, something along those lines, maybe not. But, 
yeah, you heard those two words and it's like, all right, well, we're going to see what's in there make sure everything's fine. So, um, yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily think it's, uh, I think it's just that when you have that symptom, you go get it checked out. And so kind of along those lines, as someone, I mean, you've been around baseball in a much closer capacity than I have. Can forearm tightness be something else? Like we talked about this kind of correlation and symptom and all of that. Can you, like if you, in any experience you've had or anything, you remember forearm tightness being something that actually was not related to the UCL at all. Can it be uh, other things? Yeah, I mean, I, yes. I've, I've, we've had kids that, uh, you know, the, over the last four or five years that have had forearm tightness that, that they go in and look and for whatever reason, it's not UCL damage. Um, but like you mentioned with the, with the, with the, you know, with the cancer and you want to roll it out, obviously uh, that's the first thing you want to get rolled out. So yeah, I, could it be something else? Sure. Um, it's, it's obviously if your forearm gets tight after pitching, it's not necessarily um, always a UCL issue, but it's the one thing that you won't um, knocked out and, and told that there is no UCL damage. And um, until those words are said, I think everybody associated with Ole Miss baseball has reason for concern because Man, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute. It felt like this team might be an arm short of being, you know, yeah. one of the best programs in the country. And now ooh, ooh, it, it gets dicey back there. It really does. And we'll get to that piece of it in a second. I just want to play out kind of the other hypothetical. If like, look, I wouldn't necessarily bank on this. Like if you're making me, and again, this is just two dudes on a podcast just guessing here. This is 100% speculation. If you made me kind of put a percentage on it based on like kind of past case scenarios and things I've covered and just been around through the years, when you have the forearm tightness, I don't know, I'm putting it like 70-30 that it's probably related to the UCL and the elbow. Would you go higher or lower? Is that kind of right? Oh, uh, no, that, feel, that feels about right. Um, 70-30-ish, right? Yeah, um, that feels about right. Um, So, you know, obviously you hope for Ole Misses and, and – more, more so Hunter's sake that, that it's 30%. Um, because man, God forbid it's, it, God forbid it's UCL and I'm not sure he's ready next year. Right. That's what sucks about this. Yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm hopeful and prayerful that it's, it's definitely, you know, hopefully not UCL related because man, that, that's certainly, you know, obviously it sucks for Ole Miss, but more so for the kid that, that's going to, you know, be a, I would think, and and I had you know red mocks or anything, but I think would be a high end draft guy when it's his draft year. That would certainly put a put him in a peculiar situation with that next year. So, um, certainly hopeful that that's not the case. No, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, and I don't mean to like pin you into up against the corner and ask you difficult things that you're not qualified. You're not a doctor, right? I, I've known you long. No, no, no. Okay, not glad a doctor. we got that out of the way. I so, deal with sore arms quite often, but uh, no, no, not not a doctor. I'm not a doctor either. I used to just pretend to be one on radio. Um, but what's well, one of the things I wanted to ask you was if they got the MRI, mm-hmm. and I don't know how this works, right? They have like the radiologist or whatever that does the MRI, and maybe it's just natural protocol to send it off to get a couple of different opinions. But if that MRI initially revealed like nothing wrong in the UCL being intact and no structural damage, would there be any reason to hold him out of his start this weekend if you're kind of get, picking up what I'm putting down? Um, fair question. I mean, I, I think maybe, um, so here's what I think. And Kendall Rogers made a good point. Um, we, we need a pitchers and catchers session like the MLB has. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily agree with Kendall on, on a ton of stuff, but, but that's certainly one that I do. Um, yeah. 
I, no, I don't. I don't necessarily think that the reason they're holding him out is because you know they because the, something is wrong regarding the UCL. I think something could be wrong, and that's not the UCL. Maybe like a bone spur, something along those lines. Um, and again, bone spur. I'm just throwing out things that are commonly wrong with right. Maybe they literally them. don't know. Yeah, I, I I think just out of precaution for what they uh, what it could be, they're holding him out um, because again, it's a series in February and. Um, I'll say this too. Um, I, I just, I struggle to believe that, um, I don't, I don't know how to put this. I struggle to believe that they don't know, they don't have an idea of what it is. So the fact that they're not saying out for the year tells me that it may not be, uh, as bad as it right could be, but you know, I don't, I don't want to say that for certain. So, um, because look with Gunner, I don't know if it was announced, but we knew, right? Like everybody yes. was, everyone was waiting on Mike to say it in his first media availability, like on a Tuesday or something, but Gunner gets hurt on that Friday at college station. And we knew on Sunday, like, I, I'm pretty sure I knew on Sunday after the game, what had happened. Um, and they had the results back and, and I don't, I don't know if it's out there like that with Elliot. And, um, so, so hopefully them not as saying that he's out for the year um gives gives good news um so i struggle to believe that they don't have at least an idea of what it is and with that idea um them not saying that he's out for the year i I think may be good news but again i don't have any any insight at all regarding this yeah that's a great point i'm glad you brought that up where like the gunner thing and look i'm not nearly as plugged in as i used to be and i know you know people around the program as well but i just remember with the gunner thing that felt different you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, yeah. like you kind of knew on that Sunday or whatever. It's like, uh, I don't know. This is going to be good. Where this one feels like very much like what's actually the deal here. And maybe it's just the sheer fact that he, uh, you know, threw on Friday without any issue. I do think the fact that he threw twice more with seemingly without much discomfort, or at least from what Mike alluded to, is interesting as well. But like that one felt different from a sheer like tea leaves perspective in terms of like what you're hearing. So we'll kind of see on that. And that's been medical corner from two dudes with no medical degrees. Let's get to kind of the... uh you know, best worst case scenarios. Let's just say, again, completely speculating and hypothetical, that it is the worst case scenario and Hunter Elliott is not a factor on the 2023 Ole Miss baseball team. Obviously, Jack Doherty is going to start in his place on uh, Friday against the Maryland Terrapins. Um, You know, all things considered, we're only one week into this season. You know, you watch Sonia pitch, you watch Rivas pitch. They clearly didn't do anything that would, uh, you know, lead you to believe like, hey, those guys don't deserve their jobs, right? They're going to get moved mm-hmm. into a different role. But again, you're only one week again uh, into the season against a team that I think we both agreed probably not going to Omaha. But just it, everything remains the same. You talked about it. I think the general consensus was like, hey, this team is going to be really good. At minimum, is going to be pretty good. But in terms of like a championship contender, it feels one arm short minus a newcomer coming in and just being awesome, which Mike has guys do that, you know, more years than not, right? Like it's, it's not one of those things like, ah, they can't win it. It just felt like, man, like, you know, if they're a hundred percent, a title contender, like Mallet's healthy, um, Maddox healthy, I think you'd feel that way, but both of those guys aren't. So it felt a little thin on the back end of the bullpen. And so now you take Jack Doherty, presumably if the hypothetical that we're playing out here is that Hunter Elliott will be out for a long period of time and may not pitch again this year. That really puts your bullpen, even if you keep every piece of the rotation the same, in a tight spot, right? Like he was supposed to be the back end of the bullpen guy, kind of that now iconic 
multi-inning closer guy that Bianco goes to for what I like to describe when just shit gets hairy. Um, you know, this is not, hey, the ninth inning's yours. It could, the seventh inning could be yours type of thing. You know, the much tamer version of like the Taylor Broadway thing in 2021. And if this is the case, now you look at it and it's like, man, like there's not a lot of proven track record in that bullpen, but they have a coach that kind of has a history of figuring it out. And just to throw like a broad question at you, if Doherty is kind of plugged in the rotation and everything else remains the same, how do you kind of view the pitching staff in the back end of that bullpen? Um. So first off, I, I just would like to congratulate Kermit Davis on taking his second timeout before the uh, 12 minute media uh, mark. Um, I forgot anyways. they played tonight. Yeah, I wish I did. Um, my man has taken two timeouts before the twelve. All right, um, that'll help. Yeah, that'll that'll make them make shots. Anyways, um, so I, I thought this was interesting. Um, and I'll ask you because I was thinking about this today. All right, so Elliot's obviously not going this weekend. Um, Doherty is okay. I was just thinking back in twenty twenty one is a little bit different because Gunner and and. Nikhazy were so good, yeah. but um, when Gunner gets gets hurt, okay, and you know, obviously, you don't have the 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 two headed monster that they had. Who was the best pitcher on that Ole Miss team after that? I, oh, excuse me, who was the second best pitcher? I was about to say, I like, I was about to yeah, ask no, no, no. question. Who's the second best pitcher? Is Jack Doherty? Oh no. no no no, sorry, excuse me, Taylor Broadway. Okay, all right, um, twenty nineteen. Uh, well, really 18. Okay. Um, they had, you know, obviously Doug, um, or excuse me, 2018 was, was Rollison, but their next best arm was their closer in Parker Crazy. Yeah. So it kind of feels like where I'm getting at is that it kind of feels like Mike, uh, not necessarily puts his best two arms in the rotation right now. Obviously Gunner and, and Doug were a little bit different, but it feels like he has one of his best arms. You look at last year, right? Um, you know, He's got a dude that I think could have been a Friday or Saturday guy in the SEC in the closer position. So he kind of always reserves that closer role for a guy that's got high-end stuff and can throw multiple pitches into the strike zone. Because you look at all of Ole Miss's closers really through the years, maybe with the exception of Woolfolk, um, and all of those guys could have transitioned to Friday night if they needed to. Um, so I kind of think that's the case with Doherty. Is, is, yeah, he's he could be an all-SEC closer, um, but Mike has him, or excuse me, he, he could be a, a Friday night guy, but Mike has him in this closure role because that's what the team needs right now. But he usually reserves the, the closure role for Friday guys that can be Friday night guys in this league. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's going to be that hard of a transition when you consider that Doherty has started before and started big games before. Um, obviously we don't know how long of a transition this will be, but I, I don't think it's going to be um a massive I'll, I'll be honest i don't necessarily think it's going to be a massive fall off obviously hunter has, has been special in the starting role but i don't necessarily think the friday night starter role would be what falls off right um, from a sheer top end of the rotation yeah. standpoint it's the it's the trickle down effect who's going to close the game exactly yeah so that that that's where it's at it's I don't necessarily know if the loss is, is exactly, you know, one for one. I think it's what happens when you move the closer to the Friday night role that, that scares you to death and who's going to replace the closer. No, you're exactly right. It's a great point, right? It's, it's not one of those things where it's same thing in 2021. It's not like uh, when Gunner went down, Oh my God, what are they going to do on Fridays? In that case, it was like, well, my God, what are you going to do after Nikhazy? You <laughs> hope 
that Sonia and Rivas, you know, pan out a little better and become a little bit more formidable of a two, three combo behind what Nikhazy became on Friday in that 2021 role. But in this case, the trickle down effect is on the back end of the bullpen, right? Because now you're looking at this bullpen. There's not much proven experience there. I mean, really the only other, I would say, truly, truly proven guy. Look, Jackson Kimbrell has been in the mix for a couple of years now. I don't know if I would throw him in the proven category, but the only other dude you look back there and think that guy has gotten huge outs in massive situations is Mason Nichols. And that's not a very comforting place to be if you're Ole Miss and you have title aspirations, but it's the reality of the world that they live in. And so- My best guess is if the hypothetical that we're playing out here, again, this is just assuming that um, Hunter Elliott is not a factor on this team going forward. Again, large assumption to make, but we're just kind of playing out the scenario there. Don't you think the Doherty role probably goes to Nichols almost by default? And I don't mean that as like a slight to Nichols. I just don't know where else you would Um, go. But here's the concern, right? Yes, I do. I think think Nichols becomes your closer. Um, But if you remember – the the media day okay why is mason nichols not a starter do you know no i actually don't know the answer to this he, i i believe if i remember correctly he didn't throw but two pitches last year right um fastball curveball or yes. fastball slider i think he's in the midst of developing a change um not sure how that development's going but mike talked about moving him from the stretch only because that's what he had been last year. And I did, I'll be candid. I did not watch the game on Tuesday night. So I don't know if he went from the windup on Tuesday night when he got his first action. Mike talked about he, they were trying to get him to go from the windup. And at that process, he was candid. He said, it's not going great. Um, so I, I don't know if what I'm getting at is I don't know if Nichols can be the guy where you put him in at the seventh and say, all right, go get him, buddy. Because if you remember um, in Miami last year, you remember exactly when they pulled Mason Nichols off the mound against Miami and put Brandon Johnson in? I want to say eighth off the top of my head. No, no, no. no. I'm talking about what part of the lineup. Oh, After he had faced them one time. Yes, like the literally time the batter too. that was going to be the second time they faced him. He said, nope, you're out. So, right, because it was one of those deals where in the on the surface you're sitting there thinking, this guy's actually kind of grooving. Why are you taking him out? But there was clearly a reason for it, as yeah. you're alluding to. So so my issue and worry there is, like, this isn't a guy that he's going to put in at, in the bottom of the sixth and say, hey, go give me three innings. So, you know, like he would with a Doherty. Um, or It'd be a more a traditional run. closer role, right? Yes. Which is going to make everyone else in between have to fill more innings Correct. and eat up more outs. Correct. So people are going to have to eat innings to get to that eighth and that ninth inning. Um, the, again, obviously, like you said, hypothetical and in the unfortunate case that, that uh, Hunter Elliott is not available this year. And, and again, God forbid. Um, but that that's the worry there is, is, man, you've got to get it to the eighth inning now because he's not probably going to be a guy that you want to bring in in the seventh. Um, unless he's developed that changeup again, I don't know. I have not seen him pitch this year. I know that was the reasoning. I do know that was the reason he was not a starter last year is that, that they didn't have a consistent, consistent third pitch. And, and I'm just throwing out kind of wild hypotheticals here. But when you talk about kind of Doherty being that multi-inning closer where it's like, Hey, if things get really get hairy from the sixth inning on, this game can be yours. 
I'm kind of with you. Like Nichols hasn't proven that aspect of it yet, although he was a very useful, very effective, and awesome. Oh, awesome, he's good. Very awesome pitcher as a true freshman. But that just like beyond like the lack of depth, that changes the dynamic of how you manage games. And so, yes. is there any world? where Mike tries to find another high velo guy to be kind of your ninth inning closer and let Mason Nichols fill out a role before that, where it's like, Hey man, can you get me through the seventh and the eighth where presumably if you're effective, like you don't have to face something a second time through, and then you can kick it to, and I'm just throwing out two random ass names here that throw hard a Braden Jones or a JT Quinn. Yeah. You get what I'm getting at. I'm not saying those, fit, but could he try to solve the puzzle that way? Sure, sure, sure. You know, like you said, Mason Nichols is a very, very, very good arm. And I think, quite frankly, I think before he leaves Ole Miss, will be a starter. Um, so so he's very good. It's just really, I'll be honest, it's a matter of where you use those innings from him. I don't necessarily think Mike's going to say, hey, we need him, you know, in the seventh and eighth or in the eighth and ninth. I think he's going to use him in the spot where he needs to go win the game. Kind of like a, an Aaron Greenwood role. It's like, hey, uh, crap's scary now. So, uh Go get the baseball right now, and we'll figure out the eighth and the ninth. But if you don't go pitch right now, there might not be a meaningful eighth and ninth inning. So um, I think he's the high leverage guy of the bullpen, and I think Mike has done a masterful job the last few years of using his best guys in the biggest situations. Um, and I expect that he'll do that with Nichols this year. Um, I don't necessarily, like you mentioned, I don't necessarily think it's going to be the eighth or ninth inning. It may be the fifth inning. Um, where, hey, I need to go get you th- get me through the fifth, sixth, and then out in the seventh, and then we'll have to figure it out after that. Um, but I, I think that's more of the role, not necessarily closer, but a stopper, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think it's a great point, right? Where it's like you put the guy in when things get hairy because he's an incredibly effective pitcher, but it's unlike the scenario where like when you put in a Doherty, you put in a Broadway or even Brandon Johnson last year, like, Hey, there's no one else. Like you're finishing this or we go down with the ship type of thing. Like, like there we will have to have someone behind you type of thing if that makes any sense at all right like it's not like this guy is our last resort he needs to finish this game or that we just don't win it with the way this team's constructed he can be super effective in kind of those later innings but he doesn't necessarily have to finish the game but in order for that to be the case you got to go find a guy that can right can you find a guy that go get you three outs after Nichols if he doesn't really develop into that role right um so you know, it, obviously, this is kind of sucks to talk about because because of you know the ramifications of it. But you know, I think that's the the plan. And, and really, here's the reality: um, dudes have to prove it after that, right? Like you you got to have some dudes go in and um, prove that they can be effective and that um, you know that they can pitch at a high level. Here's what I'll here's what I'll say um, to give you a little confidence, right? Who were the bullpen arms? for the 2022 Ole Miss Rebels that won the national title. Who were who were the, the bullpen guys? Obviously, you had Dilution and Elliott, but who were the guys after that? Was, Brandon Johnson, Mason Nichols, who, Jack Doherty. Right. And Brandon Johnson didn't do a whole lot. He, he came on at the end in 2021. Jack Doherty was, was pretty solid in 2021. Mason Nichols was a freshman. Uh, John Gaddis, newcomer. Um, I'm just thinking about people that pitched in the College World Series. Josh Mallett, newcomer. Uh, not newcomer, but didn't pitch effectively in 2021. I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, Jack Washburn pitched in the College World Series. Newcomer. Um, I, I guess my point is they kind of did it last year to a degree, right? 
Yeah. Um, there were there were guys that came out of nowhere and that were newcomers and that didn't pitch effectively the year before, but it, but found it in 2022 in the biggest moments um, and were able to to produce for Ole Miss. I mean, you talk about a Riley Maddox before he gets hurt, so it's not impossible because I think they believe in this this freshman class and this this transfer class. Um, it's not impossible that that they do find guys that can be consistent and can be good in in you know some of these younger classes. So. You mentioned the Mason Nichols wind-up thing, and I actually did watch the game last night because, honestly, after work, I didn't have a whole hell of a lot better to do. I wanted to see who they had late innings pitching in the game, and then Nichols got the ninth. I wanted to double-check myself on this. We got our illustrious IT department on this. Nichols started that inning. I wouldn't call it a full-fledged wind-up. You would be better putting it into baseball terms, so I'm going to describe it like a novice. He is not in a full-on stretch. He is, I would say, about three-quarters into between a wind-up and a stretch where I would say his hips are pointed to halfway in between home plate and the Ole Miss first base dugout. He kind of takes – he doesn't really take a a, a small step back with his right foot, but it does turn. It's like a half wind-up, half stretch. Does that make any sense without you looking at it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would have to compare it to what he did last year. Yeah. to see if there's much difference. But, you know, Mike said full stretch. That does intimate, you know, uh, you know or, or tell you that there was a change. So maybe that's a good sign. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I struggle to think that, that going from stretch only is going to be effective going the second time through the order as, long, uh, as well as not being able to throw a changeup. So if he has both of those, and I do know the changeup was a work in progress at the end of last year, and um, the term I heard was not game ready. Um, and maybe it is. Again, I need to go watch his outing, especially now with all of this going on. I need to go watch his outing and um, or see if I can get some track man numbers and see if change-ups were thrown because I think that's the key, right? If Mason Nichols is able to throw an SEC-quality change-up, um, all bets are off. Maybe he is that three or that four or that five-inning guy if, if things get wild um, guy. But I think that's what it's going to take is him to be able to throw a, a competitive uh, level SEC changeup, and and that's certainly something you can develop over the course of the off season, um, and, and maybe he has, and and but I think that, frankly, I think that's really big for Ole Miss in this in this uh, unfortunate hypothetical that we're, we're that we're discussing. And I gotta say, as as I'm, I still have it up. I'm watching the replay as we're doing this podcast because I was curious about it. As he got more and more batters in, he only threw like twelve pitches because he had a one, two, three ninth inning. When he from the second batter to the third batter, whatever this version of a windup is, I can say undisputedly became a little more exaggerated towards a windup. So maybe that's kind of a gradual transition that is something to monitor for the people out there. One quick note before we kind of get to the Maryland thing and get out of here is even before all of the uh all of the Hunter Elliott stuff happened, you know, we talked about Mason Nichols not getting in opening weekend. He got warmed up twice on Friday and that's why Mike didn't put him in and then didn't put him in on Saturday and then he kind of just went with all newcomers on Sunday and he gets the ninth inning in his first action of the year in an 11 to 3 game against Arkansas State the the, Elliott injury aside there has to be a a large piece of this with Mike before that injury with like Mason Nichols he has so much new on this team and he's trying to figure out the bullpen roles particularly down Mallets and Maddox don't you figure a large part of that that Mason Nichols has not pitched a ton this year is twofold? In my opinion, or at least my line of thinking would be one, I know exactly what I have in this kid. I know he can get a massive outs. I know exactly he's going to be a contributor. So, like, one, let's try some other kids against some inferior opponents. And two, with this long-ass season and kind of the wear and tear on some of these arms, if we ease him in and he only has two or three appearances, 
before conference play, and that's probably a little bit exaggerated. That's not the worst thing in the world. Like, do you buy into sure. that theory at all? Um, yeah, I'll be completely honest with you. Do you know why I think Dylan Delusha and Hunter Elliott were really good in the postseason last year? Yeah, because they weren't starting and pitching five innings and 75 pitches in early February. All these other dudes are, like, throwing 125 innings, and old and Delusha's like, I don't know, this is my eighth start of the year. I didn't even start, in, you know, against Alabama. I think you could say that's a large portion, why they, or a large reason why they won a national title. I don't think that's a, uh, I don't think that's um, e- exaggerating at all. I was about to say so, being hyperbolic is the word I'm looking for. I'm with you. Conspiracy theory is, is Mike holding a guy for uh, – for the uh, Saturday role for Ole Miss, is he hiding somebody? Like, oh, like, I like this because you know, <laughs> for a guy that's about as traditionalist as possible through his first like twelve to fifteen years at Ole Miss, we saw him abandon the starting the, the concept of starting he did. years. Maybe he's perfected this to where actually I'm just going to throw out these schmucks to start for the first month. Then boom, the real rotation comes in. So, uh, you know, it was it was maddening at the time because Ole Miss was so bad. But it is kind of funny now that I look back at it and they ask Mike about who's starting. He's like, dude, I don't care who starts. I'm just trying to get one out. I would like to get an out. That sounds neat. He literally <laughs> said, we don't have starters or relievers. We have pitchers. That was an exact <laughs> quote at one point in March. I'm trying to get an out. <laughs> I, I know we've referenced this like nine times ever since that has happened, though. But do you remember just how ridiculously bad that was? We were going to stop doing the pod. I was like, dude, I'm not going to keep you for an hour and a half every Sunday just to go through the motions here. Like, what? what's the point? We'll play this by ear. Oh, my God. They were 7 and 14. I was ready to jump off a cliff. It is not just that they were 7 and 14. It's how they lost games. It's yeah, not they- like it was the state thing last year where they just couldn't throw strikes. It's like. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, how are you losing these games? It's like, oh, Ole Miss out hits opponent 12 to 3, loses 4 to 1. Maybe the reason Arkansas <laughs> rock bottom was so perfect, because then you leave that series being like, man, Ole Miss is kind of better than Arkansas. Like, oh, they didn't win the series. Four. They won on Friday night, though. Uh, they did. Uh, it got a little bit of help, and then my guy. They, I will say, you know, I, people love to make fun of like the uh, ESPN like win percentage on football games and stuff. That Saturday game, maybe it was the Friday game. I don't remember. It was Thursday, Saturday game two against Arkansas. It, that has to be one of the most college baseball games where I was like, this team has to win this game. Like they're so much better. They're getting every opportunity. That was the most. I don't even know how to describe this. this is terrible podcasting, but like. How in God's name did you not win this game? I think I may have ever watched the game two against Arkansas. It's like, how in yeah. the world did these dudes not win this game? Yeah. Well, last season was so infuriating and uh, jubilating all at one one time. Um, what a what a moment in time to go from seven and fourteen to me crying in section one hundred eight of the of Charles Schwab Field. Um, anyway, <laughs> so um, a couple of quick notes I just wanted to get to before we get to the Maryland piece of it and get out of here. Um, Tyrone Malone clanged one off the batter's eye. So he's, he's the people's champion. I will tell you, oh, I may have okay. mentioned this to you on the Sunday podcast. When he got up, put up in that pinch hit role on Saturday, people went nuts. But the uh, the old graphic had not updated for my man Glenn Waddle, and I forget that who they he pinch hit for. But Waddle initially announced him as someone who was definitely not Tyrone Malone, as you as if you could mistake the guy for anything. And then they had to kind of go with the subdued, like, second. Actually, it's Taiwan Malone, and people still went nuts. This is becoming a fan sensation, but my man can yeah. hit. Yeah, he can hit. Um, I think he is an SEC hitter. Here's my issue, okay? Um, and I don't know this. You you would probably have a better idea for me than me. Um, can he play in the field? 
Is, is that a, is, is it a Ben Van Cleve situation where my man doesn't even have a glove, or, or is he a capable defensive player? My guess is no, but that's purely okay. speculation. I literally All right, so have now we're limited to pinch hitting and DH options, right? Are we look? I get it. Everybody wants this kid to play because he's a football player and it looks cool and he hits the ball four hundred and eighty-five feet. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't play. Um, and he seems like I, an awesome dude that all those baseball players love. Yeah, he does. But I guess my point is, like, if it's only the, the only option is being able to DH, um, you know, it's hard to to just give him all the reps when you got guys like Furness and Udermark that that, exactly. that have earned reps too. You know, so I get everybody's like, put him in the lineup. I understand. But first off, where? Okay. And the answer is DH. Well, you got other guys that need reps too. So um, I would continue to play all three of those and, and see how they look when, you know, SEC players roll around. I'm not advocating throwing them on the bench. I'm just saying I completely understand that he's not, why he's not starting every single day too. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think it'll probably in all likelihood, like if Tywin Malone does become the regular DH, and I don't mean this as like a, a, a shot to the kid or like that, a down on his abilities. Um, to me, the way just in the like hypothetical how that would play out, it would be because a couple of those other guys, the freshmen you mentioned, Udermark, um, and Will Furness, because they struggled, like he's probably the second or third option at DH yeah. if you had to take a best guess. Yeah, I've not I've not seen him hit. I think the the worry was when he came in that he wouldn't be able to handle velocity, and I don't think that's necessarily a worry anymore. I think the kid can play. Um, I think he's going to contribute to this team in a meaningful way in relevant situations. Um, I just, I guess my, my pushback is only against the people that are saying, Hey, you should start every game. Well, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. Exactly. I, I'm with you there. Um, as we kind of turn the page a little bit to Maryland here, they're a top 15 club. They bring back two of their best three pitchers from last year. They lost one. They bring back their Friday guy. Who's now their Saturday guy. They have a kid. They're now Friday guy was the Sunday guy last year who had some pretty ridiculous, um, strikeout numbers and also this kid i forget his name off the top of my head it's like i want to say jared saltolamacchia but it's not it's jason savacool so you know just <laughs> s's over here mis education over there he starts last friday for them against baylor and it doesn't go well he walks a bunch of dudes despite his great swing and miss stuff and then nick dean who was their uh, friday night started last year's the saturday guy was just terrific the next day and they win uh that saturday game and then kind of back in that series against baylor um, so th- I guess my point is without obviously pr- without pretending we know a ton of, about Maryland and uh, have not having watched you know every game they played last year, I do think this will be a test to just hey how good is this offense? Like you think it's really awesome? I think they're going to be a successful offense no matter what. But this will be a pretty good litmus test, particularly with some of the guys they've had to replace around the fringes of just like hey like you know does this actually translate to SEC kind of light pitching is kind of the main thing I'm looking for this weekend because they're going to face. Two pretty quality starters and a Sunday guy that is a newcomer. I believe the kid's an Ohio State transfer. If I'm uh uh her habiter, they also have a kid named Kyle McCoy who's pretty good, who was a freshman. But point being, this is going to be two pretty quality arms and some decent bullpen depth. This will be a good test for SEC quality pitching and how good this offense actually is. This feels like Auburn's rolling into town. Yeah. That's what it feels like to me. This this feels like Auburn. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure if Auburn's ranked this year. They should be, um, it's a top 25 team. I, I think this is like what you would see when Auburn rolls into town. You're going to see some arms. You're going to see some dudes top lineup taking swing it. Maybe not a great bottom half. 
Um, but you're going to have really, really good arms that, that are going to go out on that mound. And it's going to be interesting to see how Ole Miss competes uh, against them with, with all the newcomers. So definitely an exciting weekend. Um, I'm I'm kind of I'm going to get to go Saturday and Sunday. So um, the weather's nice this weekend. I haven't even looked at the weather yet. It's um, warm, but with some chance of rain. But we'll take that I, over 40 degrees I, every day. Ooh, are you okay? Are you a big cold guy or heat? If you get to if you get to pick ninety or thirty, what are, what are we picking? Oh, I'm picking. Well, for watching baseball, ninety. No, 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 no. Just you. You get to pick. Oh, I used to say cold, but honestly, I'm just going to admit I'm a huge wuss. I would rather it be hot. Oh wow. Okay, I'm the opposite because I can put on enough clothes. So um, what used to switch me was like the Texas heat. You know, everyone talks about the humidity and stuff in Mississippi. That dry heat out in Dallas where I'd go to try to play golf at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's like 109 at 4 p.m., I was like, I might die out here. So that was a different level of heat that kind of drove me to the cold. But when you're sitting at Swayze Field and I'm having hand warmers and gloves on and I'm still not, I would say, comfortable by any stretch, I'm like, I may, maybe give me the heat. I need a nerd to explain to me why it's 15 degrees colder in Swayze than it is anywhere else. It's the coldest place in Oxford. One of my dad's buddy, D. Lovelace, I think he listens to this pod sometimes, claims it's the coldest place in Oxford and – I don't know if he's a scientist, but I back the theory. I don't know why it's so much colder. Is it because it's down in a bowl? It is absolutely colder. Like, I remember used to be covering games. It'd be like 47 degrees outside, your typical kind of midweek slog. Sure. But I'd go down on the field, and, like, I got a jacket. I got long pants on. Like, 47 degrees should be tolerable. I'm sitting there shivering, being like, Mike, come on, stop yelling at these guys. I need to get the hell out of here because it feels like it's 31. I don't understand that, but it's absolutely (laughs) true. I watched Mike play a game um, against Wright State in the year 2015, and I swear to God, 18 degree weather, and there was double no header. Way. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. no, no, this was the Friday. Uh, this was the Friday. He he played a double header on Sunday because they finally deemed on Saturday when it was four degrees or whatever. We probably shouldn't play. And that was but the on- year they had like nine double headers in non conference. Yeah. That was my first yeah. year at the DM making like 12 bucks a game, and I'm like, this hourly rate doesn't add up, pal. <laughs> but yeah, sorry about that. Um. But they played on a Friday, and I'm out in right field, and it's like 16 degrees. I'm like, what are we doing? I'm like one of seven people there. And I do mean in the entire stadium. <laughs> it gets very, very cold in that place. A quick look at Maryland's lineup. It's an older team. The catcher is one going to be one of the best players in college baseball, I think, this year. They actually lose – the uh the reigning Big 12 player, excuse me, Big Ten player of the year. But this is a team that lost two pretty um I would say heavy contributors. One of them was, I think, their Saturday or Friday guy last year. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was another pretty key contributor in the bullpen. They lose the reigning uh, Big Ten player of the year, and they're still picked to win the conference this year. This is an older lineup. This is a good team. And honestly, the Vaughn guy that runs the program up there really just runs a pretty badass program. This feels like an ACC program that just got stuck up in a TV deal and is now in the Big Ten, and now they're dominating the Big Ten. <laughs> it's a good comp. Yeah. Um Sucks for the Big Ten, but yeah, no, I, I, they do a really good job. Um, it's a team that hosted a regional last year. Um, I think at one point they weren't very committed to baseball and, and have become a little bit more committed now that they know they can win at a pretty high level at Maryland. So, no, it's definitely uh, definitely a good series for Ole Miss. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but Ole Miss is actually going to play Maryland four times. Um, they're going to play these three, and then next weekend they're going to play them again. Um, a weird quirk in the schedule is they play, you know, up up in Minneapolis against Maryland. So I wonder, in all seriousness, I wonder if they'll see the Friday guy twice or how that's, that's what work. I'm curious about too. Are you going to see this? Uh, what, how did I, I butchered his name a second? Don't ago. ask me. I'm going to take great pleasure in butchering it a second time. Uh, 
Sava cool. Are you going to see him twice? That's a very good point. Like, do you see him twice? And do you know why this happened? By the way, I didn't know this until I listened. I actually got the chance to listen to the uh, Chase and Neil pod today. Do you know why uh, this happened? I don't. So, uh, according Somebody to Chase, out, right? he asked Mike about this. They committed to that tournament in Minneapolis so long ago that at the time they actually had another school committed to come play this weekend before they went to the tournament. That deal fell through and Maryland stepped in. And so that's why this is happening the way it is. Okay. Okay. So Maryland was the, okay, that makes sense. So Maryland filled somebody's spot in weekend number two. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be sitting there. If Ole Miss takes two or three this weekend, by God, they won the series. Like not so fast, my friend. Not not buddy. Sabacool's taking the mound. Um, (laughs) You could get a four-game split. So they're going to go Maryland three times. You got two games. That's actually going to be a pretty competitive midweek series, I think, um, against La Tech. And then you get uh, Maryland again on Friday at 3 p.m. in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. Another uh, Mississippi school had some issues with a midweek series from a school from Louisiana this week. Anyways, um, so, yeah, no, it's – the Ole Miss has a stretch coming up. You got three weeks, three games against Maryland, uh, two against a really good Louisiana Tech team that hosted a regional two years ago and made a regional final in Austin last year. Um, and then Maryland again, and then Nebraska, and I believe Minnesota. So definitely uh, some some games and almost going to find out about themselves. I don't expect that they're going to go 8 0 over the next eight games. If they do, that'd be rather impressive. So, no, you're exactly right. This is kind of a sneaky. Kind of tough seven, eight game stretch for them through yeah. the non-conference play because you get a ranked Maryland team that Maryland hosted a regional last year, did they not? That is correct. Yeah, and so they're top fifteen again, and then obviously you get them on the Friday in Minneapolis. You play another couple of semi-competitive Big Ten teams, but in between there, you got a Law Tech team with uh, my man Lane Burroughs is the hottest name in Starkville right now. <laughs> <laughs> for for various reasons, a guy that's done a terrific job in Ruston. This is a seven, eight game stretch is going to test this team a little bit as they're facing their first doses of adversity. You know, we kind of joke about the non-conference sometimes. You're just like, all right, what nuggets can you pick from this? You might actually learn a decent bit about this team over the next 10 days, don't you think? No, I think that's, I think it's a really good point. Cause man, um, look, if you go what, um, six and two over the stretch, I think you need, I think, I think frankly, people in the baseball office would take that. So, um, no, it's uh, it's going to be a very, very tough stretch. I have a question. Do you think Mike would strangle a human being if they walked 14 people in nine innings? Do you have a reason for asking this? My I'm answer just, is yes. Okay. Well, the Bulldogs did that last weekend. I just was looking through box scores and saw that. Yeah. They walked 14 people in nine innings and then gave up, uh, what was it, 11 to ULM? They were down 11 to nothing at one point on Tuesday. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. I, somebody just sent me the final of 11 to 5. I did not realize they were down 11 to nothing. That now, game is 11 uh, to nothing after six innings. The uh, State, pitcher, I believe, had one or two hits. The uh, switch pitcher threw today, and uh, my man looks like a million bucks. I need I need somebody to let me know the next time he pitches. Um, he appears fun to watch. So that was awesome, one. Um, so I actually turned that on today as I was finishing up with work at the office. I think State started at 3, and about 4 o'clock when they're in the second or third inning, that kid came in, and I turned it on, and I'd be lying if I said pay close attention because I had it on my phone on the side as I'm doing work. And then obviously I get a couple calls, and like all of a sudden I look up, and the kid's one and two-thirds through his uh, outing, and I've had shit to do, so I don't really pay attention to it all because, you know, guy's got to earn a paycheck here. But he was awesome, and I don't want to say he saved their bacon because they won that game. Like I don't know, the last time I turned it off, it was ten to nothing. 
But it was a one to nothing game through like four innings. And you're like, is ULM actually going to do this? They're going to actually like take both of these midweek games. That kid came in and ULM did nothing at the plate. He was like awesome. And really, next, really next time he comes in, you need to take a look. Like if you're available, it is mesmerizing to watch. He he apparently started the game um, and threw the first four innings. So I'm looking at the box now. Yeah, he threw first four innings, gave up one hit, one walk, struck out seven. Um, did you see him like switch hands during that at bat? Like, how does that work? I saw them do that once and I didn't notice it. And again, I didn't get to play as close attention as I would have like wanted to. I never saw him do it mid at bat. But you'd have like a right-handed pitcher up, and obviously he's going right on right. And then you have a left-handed pitcher coming up, and guess what? My man's coming nine. He went nine. If, if I have my number correctly, because I wanted to try to gauge this off the very little I saw of it, um, I think he topped out at 96 with his right arm and 93 with his left. That's not fair. Yeah, how does that work? <laughs> can you do – are you are you right or left-handed? You're left-handed, aren't you? Yeah, I can do nothing with my right hand. That's what I was going to say. Like, I can't do crap with my left hand. <laughs> Wait, wait, you're left-handed and never got into pitching? You sh- somebody should have made you a pitcher, Brian. Actually, I have a great story about this. I, um, okay. I'm not the biggest guy in the world, um, as I think is probably pretty well-known on this podcast. Well, neither was Wyatt Short. Y'all are probably the same size. So, ten, well, Wyatt Short's muscular and is athletic, which is which is a huge disadvantage on my end. So, 10-year-old baseball, Northeast Jackson Baseball League, uh, Rec League. <laughs> I am on one former Ole Miss quarterback, Ryan Buchanan's team. Okay. They would throw Ryan Buchanan for the first three innings because back then you had like a three-inning limit. You know, He's throwing 75 and not getting touched, right? Then I'd come in and throw 45, and dudes did not know what to do. And at the time, I couldn't grip a fastball with two fingers. So my fastball was actually a three-finger change. <laughs> it's a four-seam, but your boy's gripping it with four fingers, and that thing had some sick sink on it. Maybe I could have gone and played college if I'd have stuck with it. So Buchanan throwing like legit probably 72 at the age of 12 or whatever you guys were. And yeah, because he was a nasty baseball player. I was actually surprised he didn't stick with that long. He say, did, quit did, baseball did he first and stuck with basketball. That kid that could have been a D1 pitcher. He was a good basketball player too, right? Yeah, but like if you're talking about like maybe doing like the two-sport thing in college, Buchanan was an incredible baseball player. He just decided he wanted to tear up the MIS in basketball instead, which whatever, if you have those options, more power to you. But, uh, yeah, my guy's coming in, and I'm thinking I'm throwing heat, but it's actually the off-speed stuff without me knowing it's off-speed stuff. Did uh, did he play baseball at prep? He did, I want to say, up until his ninth or tenth grade year. And then he really okay. ditched it to get serious about quarterback play, but stuck on with basketball instead of baseball, which I found interesting. Yeah, I guess going to spring practice. Um, Yeah, no, that that is interesting. That's funny. Um. But yeah, usually I, I'm gonna make my. I don't know if this is how it works, but if I ever have a son, I'm gonna make him left-handed. That's a great. Get him left-handed and get him into golf, and then thank me later when you don't pay for college. <laughs> don't pay for college. Yeah, Malloy will hook you up. All you gotta do is get your son shooting scratch by like tenth grade, left-handed. Boom, you're good to go. Oh. <laughs> uh, a lighthearted note to end this podcast. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. We've done a podcast with all sports before, so we kind of bounce around. We'll shoot the shit about anything. Before I let you go, I got to bounce some thoughts off someone. This Alabama basketball situation, have you have you kept up with this? Wrong, wrong place, wrong time. Just, just had, had a gun. Bad, bad timing. Dude, what the hell? All right, so explain. All right, so I saw this at school yesterday, and then I didn't, uh, like, during lunch or whatever, and then I didn't go and read, and then I, I, I didn't keep up with it. Today. Explain to me exactly 
what that kid did. Cause I never could get it straight what he exactly did. I know he gave the guy a gun, but I, I, at some point they said it was the guys, the other guy's gun. I, I don't exactly understand what happened. Sure. I'll lay it out for you because I've actually become fascinated about this. And I'll, I text uh, Michael Borky, our good friend, a lot about like, you know, these kind of more national sports stories. And I don't really do a ton of like national stuff on this podcast, but I kind of just like thinking through it. He's sure. always kind of thinking through theories and stuff. And I texted him last night. We're like, I basically texted him. And I was like, hey, man, what am I missing? Because when one of these national stories that kind of becomes like outrage porn, I'd say for like national media, I would say 90% of the time I fall somewhere in between the like Dan Wolken column and the fan base irrationally explaining away whatever controversy or misdeed was done. Like you get what I'm saying? I probably yeah. I can see both sides and I probably fall somewhere in the middle. Last night with the Brandon Miller thing, I looked at Borky and I was like, I texted him and I was like, what am I missing here? Because I don't see any pro Brandon Miller argument. Like, I don't understand. I can't even remotely rationalize this Alabama thing. Now, with that being said, I've read a lot into this over the last day or two as the more news has come out. So I'll I'll catch you up on this and I'll kind of let you react. So what happened yesterday was they had some sort of, with Darius Miles, who's accused of handing the murder weapon to the guy that actually shot, the guy that was immediately indicted for murder charges, kind of a reserve player for Alabama, um, whose buddy actually shot the people, right? right. So they had some sort of I don't, I, preliminary I, I, hearing. Yeah, exactly. Something pre-trial thing, preliminary hearing. I think it was to argue whether they should get bond or not. My mom would be yeah. a great person to have on the pod with this because she's a lawyer and I'm not. But <laughs> something like that where they present more evidence. Kind of the thing it reminded me of was like the Thiesfeld thing a few years ago where he wasn't being sentenced yet and they ended up avoiding a trial, but like the prosecution was like, hey, we got text, we got video, we got blah, blah, blah. And it was like, actually, this thing's not going to trial because there's no point. One of those type of things. It came out during whatever that preliminary event was, was that um, Brandon Miller, Alabama's leading scorer on the basketball team, supplied Darius Miles with the weapon that he handed to the shooter. And that kid's name is escaping me at this point, but it doesn't really matter. And so everyone immediately is like, what the hell? And then the the way AL.com, which is the predominant media outlet in the state of Alabama, reported it was, is that Miles showed up, or excuse me, Miller showed up, handed Miles the weapon, parked his car in such a way that it blocked the ultimate, what was ultimately the victim in the parking lot. And then the guy went on a shooting rampage and Miles, excuse me, Miller's car was hit by a couple of bullets. So the way that's framed, you're sitting there thinking like, you know, this guy was one of part of a team that helped get, uh, I, mean, I don't mean to make light of this, helped get the job done in, ter- in terms of this heinous murder. Now, what has come out since uh, today, as uh, as we record this on a Wednesday evening, uh, Miller's attorney put out a statement. And as they're trying, you know, Alabama kind of had that bad PR day where Nate Oates is like wrong place, wrong time, which regardless of what the situation actually is, is completely idiotic comments. And the fact that he was not suspended to any degree, I find idiotic myself. But but what has come out since, allegedly, is that Brandon Miller had been with the group earlier, if I'm not mistaken. He had dropped them off. He had gone someplace to eat and was somewhere else at the time but was planning on going and picking Miles up. And at some point during his plan and the execution to go pick Miles up, Miles texted him, and this was in kind of slang terms, which made it even more vague. Like they called a joint a gun, which I thought joint was what you smoke. Um, 
I don't know what that says about me, but like he, like he called it a joint. And then he said, there's like one in the head, which means there's a bullet in the chamber, but he texted Brandon Miller that I need my joint. And then said some guys popping off for real or some kind of slang like that. But at some time during the time that text message was sent, Miller arrives on the scene. And so Miles goes and gets the gun, which is Miles's gun. So it's registered to him, I assume. He's the owner of the gun. Gets it out of Miller's car when he arrives on the scene. Hands it to the shooter, who the shooter goes and unfortunately sprays that car up. And the young woman lost her life. And then, you know, the woman's boyfriend returned fire in self-defense. And those were the bullets that hit Brandon Miller's car. Now, what becomes at this point, I'm sitting there like, my God, like, what? Why is Brandon Miller playing basketball? What's going on here? What has apparently been come out since, and was in reflected in the statement today by Miller's attorney, is that Miller has never handled a gun in his life. He didn't know what was going to happen. All he heard was that uh, he was going to pick Miles up anyway, and then as he was on the way, allegedly Miles said that he needed his gun. But since Miller was on the way, he showed up anyway. Miles gets it out of the car and that happens, but Miller doesn't know anything about what was going to happen. So basically the gray area is now is like, basically did uh, Brandon Miller read that text before he showed up on scene or did he not see the text? He shows up to pick his buddy up. The buddy gets the gun out of the car and what that, and you know, what happened happened. Does that make any sense? I know that was long winded. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. I feel like at least you, uh, you maybe suspend the kid until, you know, you, you, you get all the info and, and maybe there's some court proceedings. Um, well, yes, again, that I would be thinking about it rationally. So congrats to you. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying the kid should be in jail or anything, but if I'm Alabama basketball, I, I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd have him on the floor right now. Um, as they are currently trailing South Carolina at halftime. Not sure how one does that, but they are down four. At halftime to the Gamecocks, Ole Miss didn't even do that at South Carolina. Um, but uh, he has – wow, he's actually playing well. He has 15 points. Um, but, yeah, wow, uh, that's that's certainly something. Yeah, no, it is. And, like, the, the, the sleazy part about it is is the fact that the it was the PR bunner by Oates, right? No matter what yeah, happened awesome. there, never say wrong place, wrong time. Like, what are you talking about, man? The guy wasn't at the wrong place at the wrong time. He wasn't going to pick up, like, Whataburger and there's a shooting in the parking lot and he just happened to see it. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that that's whatever you think is innocence or guilt is, that's not wrong place, wrong time. Like, you kind of in agreement there? Yeah. Um. Wow, that's – yeah, that 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 statement is is not – I mean, I appreciate the apology he made, but like, come on, don't say it. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that, frankly, that's, that's egregious that, that Oates would say that. Which makes me wonder, like, what exactly is this? Is this just some elaborate cover up or is this like well, one of the main reasons that, uh, Miller has not been charged with anything and he's not a suspect in anything is that Miller actually invested in a dash camera in his car. And he voluntarily offered that dash camera footage to Tuscaloosa PD. And again, you're taking their word for it, but apparently whatever was on the dash cam footage, I won't say exonerated him. Tuscaloosa PD and the district attorney decided not to charge him. Now, what does that actually mean? But like, I don't know. Like, it, it, I've never heard of someone having, like, other than a cop having dash camera footage. You know what I mean? But apparently that helped him out. I don't oh, know what to make well, of that. I mean, I've, heard of it. I've heard of it with Uber drivers and whatnot. Um, right. 
So, I don't think our guy's driving Uber though. Nah, probably not. He's he's probably getting paid a little well. But um, at the very minimum, doesn't it take a gigantic leap to believe one? Miller never saw that text before he arrived on the scene. And two, what are you doing at one o'clock in the morning with a gun in the back of your car? Yeah. Um, but to be clear, it wasn't his gun, correct? Correct. So is it possible? I'm just asking questions that you said they were together earlier in the night. Yes. Is that correct? Is it possible the God, I mean, he just, is it possible he just accidentally left it or you don't accidentally leave gun. Is it possible he, he left it in the back of his car? Just and and without Miller knowing is what you're insinuating. Correct, correct. I do think that is possible, but it more and more becomes like okay, you have to believe this best case scenario. You have to believe this base case scenario to exactly kind of absolve him of any blame, right? And that gets into the aspect of like, hey, look, he might not be charged with the crime, but like student athletes get suspended all the time for something that's not criminal. Sure, sure. I one that got suspended for a rental car, um, so. (laughs) And sleeping on a couch, so I feel like I feel like we can maybe do something over guns. I don't know, but yeah, no, that's a wow. Um, Nate's Oates' comments in this situation will forever horrible. like good lord. And how about place. the fact that he openly admitted even before all this came out that he contacted Ray Lewis for advice on what to tell his team? What you missed this? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, buddy, that's what makes this even crazier. So when it initially happened in mid-January and Miles was immediately charged with murder, right? And you're like, holy cow, there was like a double capital murder on Tuscaloosa and, you know, reserve on the Alabama basketball team. And they had all that controversy and all that or whatever, and that happened. They go play a game at Vanderbilt on Tuesday night. Nate Oates voluntarily offered up the fact that he called Ray Lewis for advice as to what his tell to tell his team in a time of controversy um, before that Vanderbilt game. Thoughts? Uh, wow. Um, that's boy. He he. Uh, I will say this: Nate Oates better be glad he is a well of a basketball coach. Well, but and I don't mean to be an asshole about this, but now that it's come out, uh, like what's come out since, is there any chance the real reason? That Nate Oates called Ray Lewis is because it's like, how do I keep my guy Brandon Miller out of this? You know, I know you, you were a magician with the white suit, like that was never found. How do we? How do we do this? <laughs> I can't go back there, but I just don't feel like I would have covered off. I, here's what I, I will say: this, and I, I genuinely mean this. He Nate Oates acted as if they had known this for a long time. If I knew that. I would not have offered up the uh, note that I talked to Ray Lewis. I'll just say that. If I I'm knew not sure that I one... ever offered up the note I talked to Ray Lewis in any scenario. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Like, I, I don't know. If I'm Mike Bianco, I wouldn't even, I don't know why I'd call him, but like, I wouldn't have been like, yeah, I called Ray Lewis about 100 LH UCL. <laughs> Ray Lewis is just not a guy I'm hitching my wagon to, is what, I, is what I'm getting at here. So. <laughs> Just a wild situation. But my thing is, is like, the last thing before I let you go is like, if Brandon Miller's an Ole Miss Rebel, does he miss, does he go through this without missing a game? I don't want to go full 10 full hat guy, but come on. No, no, he, he misses games at the University of Mississippi. And unfortunately, if he did play for Ole Miss, they'd probably still only average 62 points a game. And they'd probably be 2 and 12 in the SEC. I, and I don't know the full details, but I mean, Ole Miss currently has a kid missing game because there's an investigation going on. That, Am I right I about would, that? Just, yeah, I have. I, I would uh, 
I don't know anything to say enough definitively. I would describe that as a much more innocent mishap than anything nefarious. Right, right. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying anything intentional happened. No, but no, I'm just no, I know. There um, is an investigation going on. Am, am I correct in saying that? Or no? Have that, has that been closed? I think. I don't really know what happened there, to be completely I don't. Honest. I have no idea what happened. I just know that there was a, there was a car, something, and on campus i don't know um but i have a pretty good idea of what happened i helped chase with some of that like i don't like uh i know what happened i don't know if there's any sort of investigation if that makes sense okay like i don't know if it's close anyway it's a lost cause because uh guess what our guy's probably getting canned yeah and the kid would probably transfer anyways so um offensive firepower Ole miss what a great way to close the podcast (laughs) only only down seven to they scored 33 and a half against auburn 33 they should put that in the game notes. Rebels highest high scoring half of the year, only down seven to Auburn. I would love to see that in there. One scored thirty three and a uh, in a half against a bubble team. <laughs> it's it's bad. Maybe Kermit could put that on PowerPoint. I'm sorry. If <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, there could be a PowerPoint out there that gets him another year. It's a good point. You got one got fired. It, it did. It could work in the opposite direction. He is Colin Brister. This has been the vague, nefarious end of this podcast. I appreciate the time, as always, my man. We'll hard you, son, Dave. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Appreciate Colin's time. As always, thanks for tuning into this podcast, particularly if you made it to the end. We've got Grill Corner with LB's Be- Greg back on Friday. I actually recorded that right before I recorded with Colin. We'll drop that on Friday to get you kick-started for your weekend. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll holler at you on Friday.